G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Well, if you really want to be creative, make sure you know the creator. That's probably the key. And like people ask me all the time, what's the key to photography? And they want me to tell them an F-stop, some course they can do. And I tell them, do you really want to know the key to photography? Mm -hmm. And that is Jesus. Get to know him. Get connected to God. Mm -hmm. I think God wants us to be creators just like he is. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax and welcome to The Story. Well, today we have two conversations that Karen Hunt and Matt Prater had with two prominent Australian Christians, nature photographer Ken Duncan and creationist Ken Ham. We'll begin with Karen and Matt chatting with Ken Duncan, who's a gifted and prolific landscape photographer who's recognised internationally for his award-winning photos. Well, that's what we love doing, bringing the beauty of God's creation to others so they can be inspired. Mm. Now, mate, for those who haven't heard a bit of your story, we want to just unpack a bit of your journey today. Tell us a little about where you were born and raised and what was life like for you as a young tucker. Uh, Well, I was a country boy, um, travelled around a few country towns, and that's why I really wanted to become a photographer because although I live near a city now, I'm not really a city sort sort of guy. I like to be out in the bush. And so I, that's why I became a photographer, because I really wanted to have a job where I could be out in the beauty of creation. And um, so I'm very fortunate. My hobby is my job. So that's really where I've come from. And, you know, I wasn't always a Christian. In fact, I was quite the opposite. <laughs> I was in all sorts of things like Buddhism, Hinduism, Aboriginal spiritualism, and all the other naughty things you shouldn't be doing. But as you look at the beauty of creation, you, how can you not deny or how can you deny that there is a God you know Ken what time or what era what part of your life did that change happen um, just about 30 years old when I was about 30 mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's sort of a time where I you know I was told that success was making lots of money and uh, having a house and 2.5 children or mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I had that at a very young age but I was not the 2.5 children but uh, uh, it wasn't really working for me. I thought if this is success, you know, it's just a lot of possessions and money. It wasn't bringing me a happiness. And I really thought there's got to be something more than this. So that's how my whole journey started. My journey was really trying to find a meaning to life. I thought there's got to be something more. Because, you know, sure, you're happy, sad, but possessions don't bring you happiness, inner happiness. You know, they often bring more responsibility. But So that's how the journey started. And uh, it was trying to find a meaning to life, and you couldn't tell people that, or I think it's sort of strange. So I just tell them I'm a photographer. And did you always do photography? Is that what you started with, or was there yeah. something else prior? I, at the age of 16, I went to a Christian camp of all things, uh-huh. <laughs> and they uh, were teaching photography. And um, I took a black and white photo in the morning, and uh, that afternoon we processed it, and I saw that thing that I'd photographed come up in that tray magically in front of me and it was like an epiphany. It was a moment where I thought, this is it. 
I wow. just wanted to do this, and to the detriment of everything else, I was became. I just loved taking photos. And before the digital world, obviously. <laughs> yeah, before the digital world. But you know, like digital or not, it's you know, uh, to me, it's all about telling a story. And I think I love the digital era because it allows people to tell the story as well. But it's not about the technology in the end. It's about you looking and seeing things. It's about your eye. And to me, that's why it's so important to have God in my life because he He opens my eyes mm. to see things that I can photograph. And I'll often just say, God, what are we doing here? This is like really bad. And then I'll just say, help me see something here. He'll just begin to, you know, gently show you what he's really got you there to photograph. Ken's skill with the camera is not limited to his renowned landscape work. He has worked on several international projects, including photography for the rock band Midnight Oil and commissions for National Geographic, World Vision and other agencies too. Now, in this part of the conversation, Matt's just been reminiscing about the movie The Passion of the Christ and buying Ken's book revealing the stories behind the photographs of the movie. Let's hear now about Ken's connection with Mel Gibson, actor and old friend. Well, so I've known Mel since school days and, you know, we were probably doing a lot of the wrong things together at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've kept in touch for a long, all over the years and he told me that he was doing the Passion movie and I I knew about it and I just thought he wanted me there to try and help him, you know, just I think he wanted a mate there because there was so much pressure on him as far as the media saying it's anti-Jewish and and it was such rubbish, you know, it's sort of the whole anti-Jewish thing. If it was anti-Jewish, I wouldn't have been there. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't the Jewish people who put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. If we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't need Jesus to go on the cross. So, And Jesus chose to go on the cross. So being on the Passion movie for me, it really, I was a Christian at that stage, but, man, I just realized the cost of what Jesus went through for my salvation, for me to be connected to God. So it was a very special thing, and through that whole thing that was uh, about the anti-Jewish thing, Mel was actually going to in, they were going to employ an advertising agency out of New York to sort of try and tell people that's not anti-Jewish, it's, you know. And I was happened to be over his, in his office playing with his brave heart sword at the time because I'm a bit of an idiot like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mel comes into his office and he says, "Ken, can you come into this meeting?" And I'm saying. What's it about? He said, oh, it's an advertising thing. We're going to try and tell people it's not anti-Jewish and blah, blah, blah. And I said, gee, that sounds exciting. So he dragged me into this office with all these suits and and they started showing how they were going to spend a million dollars or something to say it wasn't anti-Jewish. And, you know, I was just there in the room and he looked over to me at the end and said, so what do you think about this idea, Ken? And I thought, me? What are you asking me? I'm comedy relief, remember? (laughs) And he... He said, no, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I think it's a waste of time. I mean, you know, whatever you say, people aren't going to believe it anyhow. And if you start spending money to do this, I'll think, you know, well, obviously it is anti-Jewish or something. Mm. I said, this is a diversion. You just need to get on with the movie and let people see it for what it is. A waste of money as well. Yeah, and I, and I just said that, uh, you know, God will vindicate you, not man. Oh, good and, um, so he's, he's And I said, anyhow, you know, if... Um, the Muslim people think it's anti-Christian or anti-Jewish. So all the Muslims will probably want to go and see it, you know. So um, he said, "Are you serious?" I said, "Oh, well, I don't know." 
And so we left it at that. And later on, that proved to be quite an amazing thing because he would have chosen not to do it anyhow, I'm sure, without me. But it was a diversion. And one, when I was shooting another book after that, which was The Footsteps of Jesus, because after we did that book, you know, I really wanted to go and follow the footsteps of Jesus mm. to, to sense it for myself. And what happened when I was shooting up in Lebanon, um, where Jesus was up there in Sidon and Tyre, I was up at the border where Jesus would have come in to that area. And I was photographing this shepherd with his sheep. It was so exciting. And then all of a sudden along came a Hezbollah unit in uh, a vehicle with the rocket launchers and all sorts of stuff on it. And they just came up and grabbed me. And it, it was after, there was a bit of a skirmish going on, you know. The Hezbollah had sent rockets into Israel and Israel had sent rockets back to them. And it was a little bit tense up there. But um, they just came along and saw me and they just grabbed me straight away and said, you're an Israeli spy. Oh, wow. Mate, come on with an accent like this. Are you serious? Come on. And they had no sense of humor. And then my guide who was with me, he said, no, he's a a photographer from Australia photographing the footsteps of Jesus. And I'm not sure you should tell (laughs) heavily uh, armed extremists that sort of thing. And they looked at me saying, following the footsteps of Jesus, and then they got a a gun and stuck it in my guide's face and said, Mm. out of here, leave now, one Mm. more word, you're dead. Mm. And so he was really feeling bad because he had to leave me there with these fruitcakes. And um, then I I said, Lord, I realized this wasn't going down really well and that they had no sense of humor whatsoever. And uh, I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? And um, he said, tell them about your website. And I said, hello God you, you've got to be kidding like a website they've got rocket launchers and guns and so I thought okay this will be funny so I went uh, look if you don't believe I'm Ken Duncan I'm from Australia I'm a photographer you can check my website and they said uh, yeah but of course you'll have a cover if you're a spy and I'm going oh this is going down really well and then all of a sudden their commander came through on one of their radios and they conveyed the story to him that I reckon I had a website and so they went to the website and on the front page of the website there's all these photos from the Passion movie <sighs> and then he, <laughs> they see them and the question comes through ask him if he was the photographer for the Passion movie and I thought well it's pretty obvious that I am <laughs> and I went uh, yes and then they came through, oh, well, we all went and saw that movie. We loved oh, it. And true. <laughs> all of a sudden, I became their best friend. And wow. Uh, I got myself a group photo with the rocket launcher. <laughs> he got to hold the rocket launcher. <laughs> and then I must admit, I didn't tell them it wasn't anti-Jewish because they you know, obviously thought it was. And um, and I got out of there as soon as I could before they changed their mind. But it was, And I told Mel the story later. And I said, man, I'm so glad you didn't go and tell everybody or it was an anti-Jewish because they all saw it because they thought it was and oh, got me Ken, out of trouble. What a moment in life to remember. Yes, yeah, so it's a long story but a funny one. That is amazing and uh, we're just so uh, thankful that uh, the Lord uh, did protect you that day. I'll, be- I'll bet you there was a bunch of angels standing around there too, you reckon? <laughs> well, God's good and, you know, like it's exciting times right now in the world. We've, we're having to learn to trust in God. He's the only one you can trust in and, you know, that's the only strength that we can really have because possessions and all those things, really, in the end, they can come and they can go. But um, God's so, so faithful. Well, mate, you know, when I heard that story, I was in Israel and uh, I was there with a, with a tour guide from Melbourne. Uh, 
And uh, he told me that story. He said, you know, Ken Duncan was over here. And, da, da, da. and I thought, wow, I'm going to have to track him down and hear the story for myself. And I'm just gobsmacked of what uh, uh, God has used you for. Uh, you know, a young Aussie guy with a heart for photography. Look at what God has done with your life already. And I'm excited about what God's going to do for you in the future as well. Uh, I'm going to have to get my hands on that Footsteps of Jesus book as well. I'd like to check that out because I took some great iPhone photos while I was over there. Uh, maybe you might want to use some of them for the sequel, mate, do you reckon? Or? Well, maybe, <laughs> Hey, your iPhones are pretty good. I'm asking Ken specifically what encouragement could he offer to young people who just might be looking at developing their skill and pursuing photography further for themselves? Well, if you really want to be creative, make sure you know the creator. Yes. That's probably the key. People, and like people ask me all the time, what's the key to photography? And they want me to tell them an F-stop some course they can do and I tell them do you really want to know the key to photography Mm. and that is Jesus get to know him get connected to God Mm -hmm. the creator and and, you know there's a lot of people in life who want to be imitators I think God wants us to be creators just like he is so I think if people can connect to that and then just say be brave enough say okay Lord what is it you want me to do and also find out why you want it yeah why he wants you to do it. For me, it's very clear, to show the beauty of God's creation. I'm an average photographer with a great God, and that's what I am very comfortable with, and it's not false humility, but I think God can use you, anybody, you know, like, if you're just willing to open yourself up to that reality. Now, that really messes with a lot of people's minds, because we're taught to be control freaks, you know, from a young age, but it's great when you can let go because really, we're not in control. We're traveling on a planet at 108,000 kilometers hurtling through space, and we think we're in control, like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing, and, you know, and just, you know, God will show in the doors to follow. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people say they want to follow what I'm doing, but also you've got to be prepared to put everything on the line from time to time, and that's why a lot of people don't necessarily follow fully what God wants them to do because they're not prepared to put everything on the line. Mm, Yeah, great. Thanks for that encouragement, Ken. Thank you. That was Karen Hunt and Matt Prater chatting with award-winning nature photographer Ken Duncan. To find out more about Ken and his beautiful photography of Australia and other places, you can go to his website, kenduncan.com. That's kenduncan.com. Next, Karen and Matt will be speaking with another person named Ken. This time, it's internationally known creationist Ken Ham. We'll hear his story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today we're featuring two conversations that Karen Hunt and Matt Prater had with two prominent Australian Christians. Before the break, we heard from award-winning nature photographer Ken Duncan and next, creationist Ken Ham will be sharing his story. But first, Matt asked fellow Australian creationist John Mackay how he first connected with Ken Ham. Before I got involved in this, I used to play music 
there was a uh, Baptist church in Petrie Terrace and I used to do music for them and yeah. Ken also used to go to that Baptist church when he was down from up the bush <laughs> and so we had a common link between Alan uh, Cosgrove and Ken in, in Dolby and me here and yeah. the, also, when I started a creation group for teachers, I was looking for Christian teachers, and uh, Dr. Gordon Jones, one of the smartest men I've ever met, happened to pass Ken's name on to me, mm-hmm. and so that's the short version of ultimately how we got together, and God brought us to be a team then mm-hmm. and a team now. So you were a Queensland science teacher? Yes, Ken that, was a that, Queensland science teacher in the high schools? Yes, I was working at Brisbane Grammar at the time in uh-huh. the science department. Ken was working with the government and both of us had a conviction that A, we're Christians, B, we need to do something about the fact that, well, one evangelist came to me and said, how can I reach out to these kids who are telling me you're wasting your time telling us about Jesus because mm. we know Adam and Eve aren't true and Ken had the same burden. Mm, fantastic. Well, Ken, let's find out a bit about your story. So whereabouts were you born and raised? Actually, I was born in Cairns, yep. right up the north, Beautiful. and uh, my father was a teacher, actually, uh-huh. and uh, he was transferred around about every three years as a headmaster and, you know, getting promotions, and it was interesting because my parents, you know, ardent Christians, in fact, my father, when he was dying in hospital 17 years ago, my, one of my brothers asked him, why did you love God's word so much? And he said, well, his earthly father died when he was 16. So he said he just turned to the words of his heavenly father and read them over and over again. So he was saturated in the word of God. Mm. And dad so loved God's word, stood on God's word, never wanted to any, uh, knowingly compromise God's word in any way whatsoever. And so I saw that as I was growing up because as we moved around, some of the places we went to, little country areas in Queensland, had no Sunday schools. My parents started Sunday schools. Sometimes there's only one or two churches. My father would look for the church that stood on God's word the best, you know. <laughs> and I remember one one of those places when a pastor was preaching and he said, well, a little boy took out his loaves and fishes and everybody else did the same and it wasn't a real miracle. Oh. And, you know, what my father would do in a gentle sort of way, but after the service he would go up to the pastor, open up his Bible and say, can I challenge you? Thus saith the Lord. Mm, <laughs> you know, wow. This is what God's Word says. So I was brought up with a father who was really an apologist. I mean, he didn't use the word apologetics, but he was all the time answering the sceptical questions of the age and the critics of the age. And so I grew up in that sort of home. Mm. And then, you know, we were eventually transferred to Brisbane. I lived in Mount Isa before that, actually. And when I went to high school, uh, and that was in Serena, south of Mackay, I remember going to high school and opening up the textbooks and they taught evolution as fact in the textbooks. And I remember going home to my father and saying, what do I do with this about evolution millions of years? And he didn't have any answers at that stage, didn't Mm. have a creation museum, didn't have all the books we have now or the websites we have now. Mm. And he said, I don't know all the answers to that, but I do know uh, that, you know, when something looks like it contradicts the Bible, you do two things. One, you go to God's Word and you make sure you're taking it in context according to the literature and the grammatical, historical, interpretive method. And then if there's still a conflict, then you don't question God's Word. There's something wrong with fallible man who Mm -hmm. wasn't there, who doesn't know everything. Mm. And so I I lived for a while in a sense, you know, through high school and on into university with questions, not having those answers, and eventually came across a little book from England uh, and then the Genesis Flood, famous book, uh, by doctors Whitcomb and Morris that really started the modern creationist movement mm. and found there were answers to these questions. In fact, uh, it was uh, Dr. Gordon Jones who went to be with the Lord not that long ago, actually, who was one of the uh, heads of a teacher's college in Brisbane. He was mm-hmm. one that introduced me to that book, mm. uh, the, the Genesis Flood. And when I had those answers, I remember when I became a teacher, my first teacher point was in Dolby and went out to Dolby. And one of the first classes I taught, one of the students said, 
Mr. Ham, we heard you're a Christian. You're going to be running the Christian group here. And I said, yes. And they said, well, how can you be a Christian? Because we know the Bible's not true. And I said, how do you know the Bible's not true? They said, well, look, well, our textbooks teach us about evolution and millions of years and so on. And for them, I saw that evolution, the teaching of millions of years, was such a big stumbling block to them even being receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God gave me a a fire in my bones at that stage uh, to be able to give them answers. And that's what I started to do. I started to give them some of the answers that I had obtained over time. Mm. And those kids became interested. I even heard of some years later that became Christians as a result of that. Matt and I were intrigued to hear how Ken Ham himself first caught the creation bug. Well, you know, I started to realise, just as my father taught me, that if, if you can't believe Genesis, how can you believe the rest of the Bible? Mm. Because... All of our doctrines are founded in Genesis. I mean, why is marriage a man and a woman? Genesis. Why is there sin in the world? Genesis. Why do we die? Genesis. Why do we wear clothes? Genesis. Uh, why do we need a new heavens and new earth? Genesis. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis. Sounds uh, Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis. You get the idea? Uh, so, so my father had really instilled in us how important it is to trust God's Word and believe God's Word. And I realized the book of Genesis, particularly the first 11 chapters, is foundational to the whole of the rest of the Bible. Mm. And it's interesting, when I started to give answers to the kids in school, in my science classes, you know, the Lord put what I call that fire in my bones, like Jeremiah talks about a fire in my bones. And I remember I was invited to speak to a couple of Bible studies in the local area at a couple of churches, and I was shocked because I found that most of the people said, well, we thought you could believe in evolution, just say God used evolution, and we thought you didn't have to believe in Genesis. And I was saying to them, wait a minute, wait a minute, you believe in evolution, you've got death and bloodshed and disease and suffering for millions of years, as you see in the fossil record before man, and then God calls all that very good. Wait a minute, the Bible makes it very clear that death and disease and suffering is a consequence of sin. Death is an enemy, and so on. And th- th- this is this is undermining the gospel because if you're saying God's responsible for death and we're not responsible for death, why did Jesus die on a cross mm-hmm. and was raised from the dead? And So I started explaining things to them. It was at that stage there was, uh, I don't know whether they still do this, but they, they had a youth exchange. And I was to lead the youth exchange where the youth from Dolby Church went down to Brisbane and the youth from Brisbane Church went up to Dolby. And at that youth exchange, we ended up in Preachery Terrace Baptist Church where I gave the first ever talk in a church uh, on the creation issue. And it was really that that connected uh, me with uh, various people, uh, John Mackay, uh, with uh, some people that became, or one particular man that became one of our board members later on. And so that was really the beginnings of, of this. And then as I started to teach in more and more churches, I remember there was one stage, we were out at Dolby for two years, and my wife and I basically looked across the table at each other one morning and said, we're not meant to be here anymore. God's called us to do something else. And so applied for a uh, a transfer and actually was transferred to Brisbane and in 1977 I think it was uh, met up with John Mackay to run the, the first ever major creation apologetics conference and we did that uh, together and one of the things I noticed I had had a burden to start importing books from around the world I, I bought all these different books because I thought wow those answers from those books meant a lot to me uh, other people will want to hear these answers. When I displayed those books, I remember people saying, can I buy this book? Can I buy that one? How do I get these? And so God gave John and I a real burden about how do we get these into Australia? And we started a little bookstore in our home there in Sunnybank Hills, mm-hmm. put a little extension on the front, started a bookstore, started importing books. And there's a long story to it. And lots of things happened. But that was really the beginnings of the uh, creation apologetics ministry 
uh, in Australia. Back then, it was, uh, we had some funny names for it, like Creation Science Educational Media Services. I think John Mackay <laughs> came up with that one. That's not We shortened that eventually. We had Creation Science Supplies, and eventually Creation Science Foundation, then eventually Answers and Genesis. And, of course, the Answers and Genesis Ministry is headquartered in the USA with the mm. Creation Museum, but that's all a part of the long journey, by the mm. way, uh, to show how that came about. Let's conclude the chat. Hearing from Ken Ham specifically, now he was raised with a passion for the Word of God and also for creation. Ken's sharing now about his big move to America in the mid-1980s. Well, you know, John and I did travel many, many miles together and, of course, uh, individually as well all across yeah. Australia. Uh, we also started travelling over to USA. We were asked by the Institute for Creation Research that was then the leading creation apologetics organisation in the world, headed by Dr. Henry Morris. Mm-hmm. He's with the Lord now. And Dr. Dwayne Gish, who just passed away just recently, actually. Two great men of God. Two of my, uh, you know, heroes of the faith, if you like. They really are. Well, we were invited over there and we did some speaking tours over in America. And at one particular stage, uh, Dr. Henry Morris was talking to me and he said, we don't really have anyone here. I mean, they had scientists. And, you know, sometimes scientists can say things in such technical ways, people don't understand what they're saying. Mm. Whereas I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, God must love the ordinary person. He made so many of them. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, people want to be able to hear the big picture understanding of things. And I believe that's a gift that the Lord gave me and gave to John too. We're both communicators because we're teachers and we like to communicate at a level that people can understand. And so he asked if I would consider coming over there for a, you know, a few years maybe to help them out to get the message into the churches. And we recognised that America was really the centre of the Christian world, the centre of the business world in many ways uh, at that stage. And so it was agreed that I would come over here, John would stay in Australia and look after the ministry there. And so I went to the States. But, you know, it was interesting, just before that, I had also knelt down on a piece of property with one of our board members here, John Thallon, actually, who lives in the Manly area, and we prayed that the Lord allow us to build a creation museum, because I remember when I was a school teacher taking my kids to the secular museums, all from an evolutionist perspective, the Lord gave me a burden, why can't we have a creation museum? And by the way, the Lord answered that prayer, but 30-odd years later, in a different country, <laughs> in, in the most unexpected place, but, and it's an incredible place now, the Creation Museum. So I went over and worked with Dr. Henry Morris for seven years. Instead of returning to Australia, then uh, just had that burden to build a Creation Museum. So the three of us uh, from California who moved then out to the greater Cincinnati area, actually northern Kentucky, which is uh, right against uh, the, the border of Ohio, uh, right in the Cincinnati area and to build a creation museum and that's mm. that's what we did mm. 1.9 million people have come through the creation museum Fantastic. since opening now i'm interested to know about your family so your mm-hmm. lovely wife mally how mm-hmm. many children do you have uh so i have one wife mm-hmm. which, uh, good to hear mally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have five children yeah uh, four of them are married still got one single she's 25 great car works at the creation museum really nice girl uh we have Twelve grandchildren, uh, ten out of the womb and two in the womb. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and but they all live in the northern Kentucky area where we are. That was Karen Hunt and Matt Prater chatting with internationally known creationist Ken Ham. For more information about Ken and the topic of creation, his website is answersingenesis.org. That's answersingenesis.org. 
Org. Well, what an interesting combination of guests we've had today. Our first guest was nature photographer Ken Duncan, who focuses on the beauty of God's creation. And the second guest was internationally known creationist Ken Ham. Both of them, in their own ways, bring glory to God the Creator. As the Bible says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Well, thanks for joining us for not one, but two stories. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today.